Today on Merchants of Dirt episode number seven, we have a few tips about how to make your race name memorable. I'm going to debunk the myths race promoters have about race profits, and we're going to introduce a new segment called Beyond Shovels. This is where I tell you about the new sports management technology and tools race promoters can use to build better races. Thank you for joining me for the Merchants of Dirt podcast. I'm your host, your teacher, your merchant of dirt, professional reckoner and race promoter, Kyle Bondo. If you're new to the Merchants of Dirt podcast, welcome to the show. This is what we do. We talk about dirt. We talk about off-road racing. We talk about all sorts, all sorts of things. And I help you understand the business of off-road race promotion because that's a, that's a tough part of this whole, this whole thing. Help you simplify that art and science behind building, promoting, and directing off-road races and help you make money by giving you the tools to build better races. Our website is MerchantsOfDirt.com. We are the podcast for Reckoneer, Reckoneer, the recreational engineer. That's at Reckoneer.com. That's the blog where everything kind of started. Merchants of Dirt is the podcast, is the offshoot of Reckoneer.com, where we bring the, the learning, the art, the science of off-road racing into your very ears. Yes, we get right up inside your head and let you know about all the cool things that race promoters can do, will do, and help simplify that so that you can do those yourselves and make this a profitable business. Now, this week is Thanksgiving in the United States. This is where we gather our families together, some of them we haven't seen in a long time, and eat a big meal, usually featuring a turkey as the main course, and kind of catch up with everyone. It's a great time to get family together, Sometimes there's some family members you don't want to see, but sometimes there are other family members you do want to see, and this is the holiday in which you kind of got to get everyone together, but it's a great holiday. It comes from when the first settlers from Europe came to America and shared full food to the locals for this great feast, the Native Americans and the settlers coming together to eat, and that's kind of where it gets its name from, you know, Thanksgiving. We give thanks for a good harvest, you know, for a good year. There is no other holiday like it, and that's why it has the it's it's right in the name. I mean, think about it. Thanksgiving. It reminds me that a name is a very important thing, especially when you're naming something like a race for the first time. Ah, oh, yes, there we go. Shameless segue. You know, you want to name your race something memorable, because when it's something that people can remember without even thinking about it. It gives you a huge advantage over a race name that's forgettable. However, it takes a little bit of creativity. The naming your race part, that can trip you up. And why? Why does it trip you up? Because your event needs a name. You know, a name. Not some categories moniker like, you know, state, city, or park name, plus race type, plus adjective noun equals race. You know what I mean? Let me give you an example. Virginia Mountain Bike Challenge. Hmm, that's memorable, right? How about the Washington Racing Classic? Ah, you don't even know what kind of race that is. You know it's a race, you know it's classic. It's taking place in Washington. Hmm, Washington State, Washington, D.C., who knows? There you go. You know, the inter-park name here event are functional, but you have to admit, they're kind of boring. 
I mean, if you want skilled and curious racers to show up, you're going to need to capture their attention with something a little more flash. Worse yet, these kinds of functional names do not have the creative well to pull from. You know, that's, they don't have the imagery. And these types of names have to be based for unique branding to be built off that. Save, you know, the classic line drawings of the state. Or, you know, the knobby wheel circle. Jesus, in mountain biking, knobby wheel circles are everywhere. Or even the popular go-to logo, the bike chain link. Ah, oh, barf. Or the shoe print. Ugh. Those are horrible. So, when you have a name like Washington Racing Classic, you have nothing to pull from. Except maybe, what, the skyline of the city, the shape of the state. So, maybe you need some examples to kind of work from. I mean, come on, Kyle. Where the heck are you going to come up with a name? The creativity is tough. Race promotion, we got to design the course and do this. Naming is, is not something that I'm really comfortable with. No worries. You know, the Reckoner has you covered with examples. Examples are always key. So let's get into a couple of examples. One I take from my very first mountain bike race I ever promoted, and it's called the Tomahawk Tumble. Now, I'd like to say that I, I played off the Native American heritage of the venue, this rich history, to create this name. But the truth is, that's not how it happened. You know, my son came up with it. You know, a time before the event, he and his friends were out at the very same park. Only rather than riding mountain bikes, they were out, you know, being doing what teenagers do and throwing tomahawks at trees. Now call them tomahawks because that's the catchy name for it now really we're talking about hatchets hatchets right tomahawks hatchets kind of based the same things you know oh teenagers anyway one of those tomahawks missed the mark and went down the embankment so without hesitation my son and his friends they go after it only when they slide halfway down the embankment they misjudge the grade and tumble all to the bottom okay don't get ahead of me here but luck was on their side because at the bottom was a wonderful ditch full of mud to break their fall. Okay, at the time when he came home, covered head to toe in mud, in his good jeans, it wasn't really all that funny. But now we have a good laugh over the whole incident because from what really came next, so what does this have to do with naming the event? Well, as I was struggling to come up with the name, my son asked me what I was working on, and I told him, what it was, and he blurted out, Ah, oh, that's where we and that tomahawk both tumbled down the hill. And just like that, tomahawk tumble was birthed into existence. I mean, from a name alone. I was able to, to tie the park's native heritage into the name after the fact. It just so happens that it had some that I could use. The name also gave me some imagery to work with, too. I mean, using the idea of tomahawks, I found some stock illustration of a pair of crossed tomahawks, and when I combined the interesting name with the imagery, it suddenly had an event worth remembering. I mean, you need your you need to name your race the same way and the same enthusiasm by making it a name that's something riders will remember. And you know, if it's if it's something that that you can come up with that's creative, that you can pull from maybe something in your world, in your environment, experience, it helps. It helps make that name become personal to you. So often ask, how much does a name really matter when it comes to an event? You know, from what I know, I think it matters almost as much as the location of your venue. Take that, take that for the grain of salt for the minute. 
The location of your venue. A name means as much as the location of your venue. My first race had maybe 40 riders show up that race day. That may not be a large turnout for some, but for, for my first race, having 40 riders show up was a success. From those 40 riders, I had several tell me they had a great day, posted photos on Facebook, and bragged to their friends about missing the race. I didn't think much of it at the time until months after the race. People I didn't even know were asking me about the next Tomahawk Tumble by name. Just the name itself, the name that was unlike any other race name anywhere in my area, had enough word of mouth to carry the race into year two. That's that's when something really strange happens. Rider, riders and racers, it was a mountain bike race, right? So riders started asking me at other events, hey man, when's the TT coming? Hey man, when's the T2? When's it coming back? TT, T2, what the heck was happening? Well, according to my kids, you know, I got to go go back to my, I guess they're, are they millennials? Yeah, I guess they're kind of millennials. And ask them to translate what the heck TT and T2 means with res, with respect to Tama, the Tomahawk Tumble. Well, according to my kids, when something is really cool, man, it often gets abbreviated into this texting lingo or some kind of shorthand. Now, how cool is that? From Tomahawk Tumble, tumble to T2 in just a year, with triple the turnout in year two. That is the power of a good name. Another another race name that worked out well was the event that I called the Wolf Bouncer All Mountain. And this was a, a collegiate mountain bike race that included five events over two days of racing. It's very ambitious. Did it when I was first starting out. Don't recommend ever doing something like this. Take it one race at a time. But, you know, hey, I love a challenge. So... When you think of a name like Wolf Bouncer, the first thoughts that come to mind are a giant wolf that kicks people out of bars. You know, like, don't go near there. You know, you know, start the howling. That's what a wolf bouncer is. But in this case, it's not a wolf. It's a deer. And it kind of became the center, almost the mascot of our event. I mean, like all good names, the name Wolf Bouncer comes from a really bad encounter with a six-point buck one year while I was out riding. I mean, unlike some parks, the local trails where I was planning my event was protected enough to have a herd of deer call it home. Okay, so you've been out riding, you've seen deer, not a big deal, right? Deer are usually more scared of you than you are of them, if you're scared of deer, deer at all. I mean, sometimes. Unfortunately, on this one ride, a six-point buck decided that I shall not pass. And as I rode up on him, he snorted and stomped his foot like a mad bull and refused to move aside. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a deer do that, but at this point, I thought he might actually charge me. I was thinking, huh, I'm going to have to get my mountain bike between me, me and that deer. You know, I'm not wanting to get the business end of a mad deer. Six points is a lot of points. Getting gored by a deer does not sound like my idea of a good time in the ER. So I politely backed away and took an alternate trail, and, and he went on his way. So surprisingly, I went, and of course, you know, of course you could tell friends, like, oh my gosh, this deer just totally ran me off the trail, thinking they're going to think, you know, I'm totally making this up. But I found out from my fellow mountain bikers, I wasn't the only rider to get bounced from the park. Apparently, this deer was doing it to all sorts of people. I guess when it comes to mating season, some of these deers get quite aggressive. So, when we... This leads one thing to lead to another, of course. And when I joked, 
Hey, that's why there's no wolves here anymore. Boom. The name was born, the Wolf Bouncer. And after that, it only took a few searches in stock media, stock documentary, and the site that I found an image of a, a bodybuilding, a body-built deer, this giant muscle deer, to complete the picture. And now the Wolf Bouncer is in its third year. As of 2016, with writers asking if they could get the race logo on a t-shirt this year, again, it's the power of a good name that makes your racers, aka your customers, come back and want more. You may find that a good name draws people in that might not come to you right away. Sometimes you need to just give it bland racer X name so you can just get your race planning done there. However, if you keep your ears open and you find that once you get into event planning, that a cool name kind of can come at you organically out of the blue. Um, often it's in ways you didn't expect, you know, like I've like already highlighted before. So always be on the lookout for a good story, a weird experience, something that just sounds good to say out loud. I mean, sometimes some words are just fun to say, like stuffed tough. That sounds, that sounds fun to say, right? I mean, there's a couple other races I think that are fun to say. Primal Quest sounds really kind of cool. Chances are it would be a lot easier to remember than 90% of the other events out there. Just like we give thanks for what the years brought us. Give thanks to what a good name can give you and make it memorable. And do you know what you know what else is memorable? A good cup of coffee. And I'm not much of a straight-up black coffee drinker. And I know that totally breaks the stereotype of a typical sailor. But there's a reason. In the Navy, the coffee available was, well, let's say it was strained with a chief sock. And if you're not familiar with the U.S. Navy, a chief, or a chief petty officer, is the backbone of the enlisted ranks but not well known for clean socks. They're on their feet all day long. Yeah, think that one through. Unlike what you've been told, Navy coffee is often not the greatest beverage to drink. And it very well can eat the chrome off a trailer hitch. So to combat that strength or taste or poor quality of the coffee, I would load it up with sugar and cream and cocoa. Some might say I weakened it, and some might call me other words for what I've done to my coffee, but I didn't care. I made it drinkable for me. Now, my best girl, my better half, she can drink just about any coffee straight. I mean, sometimes the less additives, the better. And I wish I could do that. I wish I could enjoy my coffee that way. But I like my, you know, I like that stuff in my coffee. Sorry, it's just the way it is. Now, this doesn't take away from the coffee flavor. Even with my poor man's mocha... That's the spoonful of sugar with some cocoa in my coffee. It was, you know, just a little bit of milk on the top. You know, just a bit. You know, kind of cool it off a little bit. I can tell you what's going on with the coffee. I can tell you what's good coffee and what's great coffee. I mean, just like a good base to a house. If you've got a bad foundation to a house, it doesn't matter how great your house looks. house is going to crumble. Same thing with a good coffee. You need a good coffee base for no matter what you put in it for it to be a good coffee. You know bad coffee. You know it. So this is a new segment that I've started calling Coffee is for Closers. If you're a fan of Glengarry Glen Ross, you'll get that one. Second you know, second prize of a set of steak knives, right? So this is my shout out to to some of the coffee that I've discovered through my travels. And I want to reach back to of course to my to my favorite right now, to my fellow veteran-owned coffee 
Connoisseurs, which is Rick's Roasters Coffee Company out of Fredericksburg, Virginia. Now, Rick's Roasters was a sponsor to a race I did with the George Mason Cycling Club. Not a sponsor of the podcast, not a sponsor of a website, just a really good guy, really good coffee company. He reached out when no other sponsors reach out and gave us some some cool coffee to give away his prizes. So this is my way of, of giving back to to Sean, Sean and uh, and Kelly. Rick Roasters is kind of the only coffee I drink right now. They have a dozen of blends to choose from, but my favorite blend so far is the Four Horsemen Coffee. You're like, Four Horsemen? Yeah, like Four Horsemen the Apocalypse. And the genius behind this is Sean Ricks, who just happens to be another sailor. He created this coffee by combining four different types of coffee into one blend. And it's it's like nothing ever had. And even on the package, the package of the Four Horsemen co- of Coffee says apocalyptic taste. And of course, it really kind of like blows your mind. So of all their, their blends, my wife loves all like just about everything they have. So, you know, my best girl is definitely a big fan of Rick Roasters. I'm I'm stuck on Four Horsemen right now. There's a couple others I like, but Four Horsemen is the one I like. I mean, it's really good coffee. So this is my way of, of just saying thank you to Sean and Kelly Ricks for for helping us out of our race. And I believe they've really created something special with this with this company, with Rick Roasters Coffee Company. So I if you get a chance, you know, please support them. Please go to, to rickroasters.com. I have the link in the show notes. You can go visit their website. You can find out everything about their blends. Find out where they're, what they're, you know, each of their coffee blends, how it's made. You can even order it online. And that is, you know, coffee for closers. Coffee's for closers. Okay, now it's time for the main event. Now, this is what you all came for, right? This is that the myths about race profits. I mean, race promoters are actually afraid to think about making a profit. They're terrified to let racers know that they have money. So let's let's bust up some of these myths right now, because I think a lot of race promoters will will definitely identify with this. And I kind of start this off by saying, do you want to see something really funny? I mean, do you really want to see a race race promoter look uncomfortable? Ask them about profit. I mean, better yet, ask them how much profit they're making, or if they think that generating a profit is a measure of their success. Heck, ask them if the last race made any money. I mean, it's funny that any talk about money will cause the average race promoter to break out into a fit of ums and ahs that would make a public speaker with a broken teleprompter proud. These people start to really get upset over the just the concept of profit. Why do race promoters have such a hard time with the topic of money? You want to know the short answer? Someone once told me that making profit was evil. They shouldn't be able to make money promoting races. They charge too much as it is. They should build races for the love of the sports, not to make a profit off the backs of poor racers. You know, and there it is. Greedy promoters, poor racers. And it's the age-old argument that racers have no money and promoters charge too much. I mean, race promoters are not allowed to be happy about making money on a race. They think if someone sees them happy, a flash mob will form and burn them at the stake. 
mean, just behind their hand-built five-place podium that they labored in their garage and built by themselves out of their own pocket money for people to stand on and take their pictures on. Yeah, that's where they'll burn them. That's the wood they'll use for the funeral pyre for making any money and being happy about it. I mean, the terror is real. Promoters actually feel that any talk about money is akin to bragging. They're actually afraid to think about making a profit and terrified to let racers know that they have. So let's end these myths right now. Myth number one. Profit is not the only barometer to success. Okay, it may not be the only one, but it's the only measurable one that matters. Racers pay you for a product, you know, your race. If that race sucked, they would ask for that money back. If they had a bad experience, they would not pay for your product again. If you think about it, Having racers show up to your race or show up again and again to your race is their way of telling you that your race was a success. Otherwise, they wouldn't come to your they wouldn't come to a race if it sucked. Period. Sure, there are a few out there that do that, but it's the only race near me dance. So what? Racers will drive three to four hours for a race that doesn't suck. I know this. I've done this drive. I know all sorts of other racers who have done this drive. How many of those showed up at your race? If the answer is more than 10, I mean, it's just a totally made up number, but you get the point. Then you experienced a success. Yay. Congratulations. You might feel weird if you think that the extra money you made, you know, i.e. your profit is a sure sign of success, but it is. Look at it. Smile while you're looking at it. This doesn't mean you're going to be swimming in your money vault later after you kick a hobo. It just means that you have now a new tool to use to grow your race business. And that sounds like success to me. So what's 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 another myth? Another myth is, I'm betraying my beliefs if I focus only on making money. Hold on one minute. Obviously, your beliefs, your mission, your desire to impact racers' lives is important. And I get that. It's your primary focus. It's your reason for getting up in the morning and building race, all this race stuff in the first place. I mean, there are all... These are all important to your self-worth. So don't stop thinking about that. Okay? Your business has goals, and you need to stay true to those goals. And if making a profit was the only thing you focused on, you might think you were not staying true to your beliefs. But you also need to admit that you have to make some money to stay in business. You need to feed your family or feed yourself. You need to keep that business you believe so strongly in open. And you can't do any of that if you're running a charity. You know, not unless you have a second job, because grocery stores don't take used bib numbers as currency. You don't have to fixate on it like, you know, the one ring of power, my precious, golem, golem. But you need to make it one of your strategic goals. Let me say that again. You need to make a profit a strategic goal. Why? Because just about every race promoter that has had plenty of races that were fun and successful but did make a profit either had A, a second job, B, was receiving a retirement check, or C, is currently out of business. 
I know, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? And if you find yourself believing that making a difference doesn't always make money, that's okay. Just understand that you're always making a difference, but not making any money doing it. Then you're not running a business. You're enjoying a hobby. Let that one sink in for a minute. I mean, doing something you believe in and making a difference, but not making money is okay. That's charitable. It could be nonprofits, but even nonprofits have to make a, they have to make a profit. Don't don't be thinking that a nonprofit is a business that doesn't make a profit. It means that it doesn't spend its profits by giving it to the owners of the company. A nonprofit is just someone who uses those profits on other things. Still has to make money. Can't keep the doors open a nonprofit. You don't make any money. So. If you're always making a difference, but not making any money doing it, you're not running a business. You're running a hobby. What's another myth? Myth number three. Racers are poor, defenseless customers that are being taken advantage of by greedy promoters that charge way too much. This is a common topic I often see on racing blogs and forums. This is probably one of my biggest pet peeves. Because the big bad race promoters are always trying to stick it to the little guy with their endless greedy thirst for even higher registration free fees. They say that greed is so bad that it literally hurting the racing community. Really? Really? Let's break this one down by the numbers, shall we? The typical mountain bike racer has two mountain bikes in their house. You know, that 29-inch hardtail single speed and the one 28-inch full suspension superbike, right? Each of these bikes are between, what, $1,000 to $5,000 each? Then it comes to helmets, gloves, shoes, pedals, sunglasses, designer water bottles, and color-coordinated pro-cut race kits. Bib tops, not shorts, because, you know, that's for the little people. And because that, you know, that's how they roll. You know, add in the Garmin, the Space Watch, the Strava app already on their iPhone, their Samsung smartphone, and their heart rate monitor. Chances are their mom didn't drop them off the race. No, they showed up in their own car. You know, this is the car they paid for with their 9-to-5 job that provides them enough ka-ching salary to buy all the above and then some outdoor recreational equipment. Because, of course, they're members of REI. Yes, they are. And they probably get a huge dividend at the end of the year because of all the stuff they buy. Now, it doesn't include the chews, the goos, the special drink powder. It also doesn't include bike upgrades, new tubeless tires, Gotta have them nice wheels. You know, the ones with the matching red trim. Yeah, special order from Germany, baby. Achtung. Don't jump ahead of me, but you can probably see where I'm going. Let's continue. You take all that gear, combine it with all the times they went riding, drove to other trails, and everything else that goes with preparing for the race day, and you can start to see how much money goes into becoming an amateur mountain bike racer. And if you're, if they're a pro guy, or even better, they're masters. You don't have to, you don't have that kind of time to go into that. And don't even start it about sponsorships and free bikes and all that other stuff they get. Then you have your friendly neighborhood race promoter. The guy or gal that spent three months dealing with property managers to get all the permits in place. Dealing, of course, designing a course, setting up a venue and advertising the heck out of a race that may or may not have a large turnout. They have found volunteers, provided refreshments, maybe added music, marked all the bad spots with tape, they have emergency medical standing by, purchased all, purchased a good insurance policy, they thought about getting timing squared away, they haven't slept in days. They were at the park 
before any of those racers showed up. They set everything up in the dark on race day, and they'll be cleaning up long after those guys leave. All planned and built in their off time, weekends and holidays, in between going to their own 9-to-5 job, if race promotion is not their 9-to-5 job. (sighs) Jeez. Deep breath. And then it happens. $40, man! For a mountain bike race? What a ripoff! You race promotes your greedy B-words! Still think they're poor? For some odd reason, there are mountain bike racers and racers in general out there that get paychecks for doing their job, but do not deem the race promoter worthy enough to deserve theirs too. And if they, God forbid, make money on a race, they are the living embodiment of evil itself. Enough. It's time to take a stand. Is Now is not a time to wimp out. Chin up, back straight, say it with me. Racers are not poor. Ah, did you feel that? Let's try that again. Okay, ready? Okay, don't wimp out. Chin up, back straight, say it with me. Racers are not poor. Should be etched in stone somewhere. That felt great, right? Be proud of what you built and that it makes money. If you create a good product that gives someone equal value for the dollar, you know, a great experience, changes a life, makes someone more active, creates a cultural event, was just good old fun, do not be ashamed of asking them to pay a fair price for it. Let the ones that complain, complain. There's nothing you can do about it anyway. Like the saying goes, you can only please 50% of the people 50% of the time. I think Abraham Lincoln said that, didn't he? He also say that most quotes found on the internet are not true. I think Abraham Lincoln said that too. Anyway, so focus on the racers that appreciate your work. Ignore those that just want to complain. They're not broke, at least not where money is concerned. <laughs> yeah, think about that one for a minute, right? As a race promoter, you should be happy about making money on a race. It will keep your racing business alive. It will help you make a living for yourself, your family, and maybe one day a staff of employees. You can stay true to your beliefs while also making money. If you think about it, staying in business is the only way you will ever impact as many lives as possible. If you go out of business, you lose that platform. So make sure you're making a profit is just as important to your business as the reasons why you built your business in the first place. And speaking of staying in business, or even just starting a racing business, would you like to get a head start building your races? What if you didn't have to figure out all the steps it takes to build just the race part of that business? What if you could follow a simple map, a road map, that showed you what each of the steps and what order to take them? Wouldn't that free up all sorts of other things? Couldn't you go work on things that you really wanted to do, like course design, or getting out there and selling your race to actual racers? I'm almost finished writing a short ebook that will help you identify the steps, the structures, the timelines, all the stuff you need to create your own off-road racing roadmap. But with it comes a pre-made, easy-to-follow roadmap that you can use right out of the box. So you don't even need to make one yourself. I mean, this ebook, together with the roadmap, will show you the exact path you need to build a race in 90 days. Ah, 90 days? Yes, 90 days. This is the minimum amount of time you need to get a race off the ground. More or less. 
It doesn't sound like a long time, but if you follow the roadmap, you can build a race in just 12 short weeks. And it's entirely free. Just for you and your fellow serious race promoters. Build a race in 90 days with my starter roadmap. And when you're done, you can use it to build races again and again and again. It can be your system. It can be your process for building your race. You can modify it. You can change it. It's just a good place to start. So are you ready? Are you ready to start building better races? If you are, go to Reckoneer.com slash roadmap and sign up with your email address. And that link will be in the show notes as well at merchantsofdirt.com. So what does signing up with your email? Oh, that's a, it's kind of a loaded question, right? Your email address. Okay. What does that give you? What does that give me, Kyle, if I give you my email address? Well, if you sign up this month, I will send you the 90-day roadmap PDF absolutely free. And by requesting the, the 90-day roadmap this month, the month of November, so you have to do it this month, you know, this is my Black Friday, Black Month sale, right? I'll include the 90-day roadmap supplement ebook to you free as well. You know, I still have a few weeks of work to do on this. Oh, okay. Give or take. But by signing up, you get it when it's released, and you get it for free. And that's a $39 value, because when I finally release it, that's what I'm going to sell it for, 39 bucks. But just for providing your email address and getting and getting onto my newsletter, because that's what the email address is. So get my newsletter, can send you updates, new blog posts, the other things I'm working on, uh, new episodes of this podcast. That's what that email address that you provide that is what I'm asking for. Get you know, become a member of the list, join the the Reckoner, the Merchants of Dirt family, the community, and I'll give you an ebook and a 90-day roadmap, absolutely free, 39 bucks, absolutely free. Ends December 1st, 2016. So go to Reckoner.com/roadmap, sign up today, get your free roadmap and your ebook, and it's free forever. So if I update it, if I make a change to it, if I go back and and say, oh my gosh, there's something changed, there's a new thing, oh hey, there's a new way to think about this. Any version of this, you get for free. That's a pretty good deal. So go to Reckoneer.com slash roadmap and sign up today and get your free 90-day roadmap and ebook. Now for the new segment on Merchants of Dirt Podcast, I'm calling Beyond Shovels. This is the segment where I tell you about all the new sports management technology and tools race promoters should use to build better races. So why did I start including this? When race promoters weren't looking, mobile technology, online services, and cloud computing ruined the old understanding of productivity tools. Today, the power of interactive management, collaboration, online services, they can be leveraged via the internet for free. And it kind of takes spreadsheets to a whole new level. Because, you know, spreadsheets, you know the things you're still using? Gone are the days of punching numbers into fields and doing everything on a sheet of paper. Now, can you imagine your race planning in real time, collaborating with your entire team no matter where they are, you know, store all your documents in the cloud for easy access from anywhere? You can rent software applications without having to buy or build them yourselves now. All these tools are designed to make you more productive and build better races. So beyond shovels, we're going to talk about some of these tools. So what are they? Well, today we're going to talk about our first Beyond Shovel segment we're going to go into managing productivity because managing your race workflow is a tough job. You could use a spreadsheet to keep everything under control, but then you'll have to modify that spreadsheet multiple times. And how do you often end up doing that? Well, you print it out and use a pencil to check off items and write in changes, right? That sounds tedious and inefficient. It also sounds like your spreadsheets don't do workflows very well. 
Every time you change something, you have to go back and change your spreadsheet again. How about your team? When someone on your team completes a task, how do you or the rest of your team know? Email? Phone calls? Meetings? When you don't complete it and you don't find out until it's too late, how can you ever keep track of it all? Stop the insanity. Start managing your races with productivity tools. And today's productivity tool is called Trillo. I hope I'm saying that right. But Trillo is an online application that helps you do workflows in real time. And it's using something called the Kanban methodology. And this is a, a methodology found in software development. It's got a lot of connections to Dr. Deming and total quality assurance and connections to Agile, Scrum. But Kanban is it's not something new. It's been around for a while. And software developers use it all the time. But what Trillo does, it's an online web application used through your browser, and it automates the movement of your lists by organizing them into these workflow boards that are divided into these columns. Now, each column is a step in your workflow process with all your to-do items in the first column. So you think about think about if you divide it into three columns. You get your to-do list, your in-progress, and your completed list. Okay? And you line up all your to-do items in the first column. So when you start working on one of your to-do items, you drag it and drop it into, you guessed it, the in-progress in progress column. When you do that task and it's completed, you put it into the done column, the completed column. And you can name any of these columns anything you want. So you have complete customization of all this. However, the Trillo tool is more the Trillo tool is more powerful in organizing and prioritizing your race into a snapshot of what is completed, what is still being worked on, and what still needs to be done. That is a powerful, powerful look at your race productivity. When you connect this Trillo board to your team, now you can start to see how you're managing who is working on what task and have a real-time view of what is done and what is not done. Trillo is kind of information at a glance. It's this capability that you could even include files, images, connections, other productivity tools like Slack. I think we'll talk about Slack next week. And cloud storage. We'll, we'll talk to that probably in December. But you can use it on your mobile device. It allows you to know your race is in progress without having to, to be on your laptop. You can check it from your tablet, from your mobile phone. Trillo is that type of tool that you can, you, doesn't matter which device you're on, you get the same, the same functionality, the same tools, and the same information at a glance. And that's, that's a very powerful thing to think about. Because how do you do that with a piece of paper and a spreadsheet? It's not, not so easy. And Trillo is also priced well for small teams. And you're probably thinking, it's like, oh man, something like that, that's got to be expensive. Well, you'll never guess what the price is. That's right. It's free. Yeah, free? Yeah, exactly. Free. Free for how long? Forever. You're thinking, yeah, right, forever. Mr. Murphy's back there going, forever? Yeah, right, that is no such thing. Of course. Will it be free forever? I don't know. It might be. But the way some of these software applications are designed, the little people are how they hook you in. It's like that first sample. That first, you know, hey, man, give this a try. Trillo's like that, too. Only your first sample is free for as long as you want it. Because it's designed to grow with your team. And it's a productivity tool that when you get bigger, the advanced features aren't useful to you until you are bigger. 
that's when it starts to cost. That's when it's like $10 per month per user, which comes out to be like $120 per user for a year. So if you got a, like a three or four or five person team and you're using Trello in, a, in advance and you're doing big races and big productivity, okay, maybe you can afford to do $600 a year to do the software. If you're just you, a couple of the people, it's not that much. So when you get bigger, you can look into Trillo to manage your championship races, but you're not there yet. It's a small team. Trillo is a perfect tool at a perfect price. So go check out Trillo at Trillo.com and stop managing your races by spreadsheet. And I'll include all those links in the show notes. So go check it out. And now you know. Speaking of growing, you can't grow your off-road racing business if you are not guided by principles. Principles, you say? Yes, those fundamental truths that serve as your foundation for your system of reasoning. On the next podcast, I'll be talking about principles, why principles matter, and what business lessons you can learn by having a few simple principles in place to guide each of your business decisions. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Merchants of Dirt podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to me on Twitter at Merchants of Dirt. And if you want to subscribe and never miss an episode, MerchantsDirt.com is how you do it. If you've got Android, iPhone, whoever your podcast, one click gets you every single episode for free. I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving out there, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Merchants Dirt podcast, where together we will build better races. Ah!